Doug is back on the pod with me. It's good news for you. It's bad news for me. We talk about Nick Batum and his apology to Charlotte Hornets fans, as well as members of the organization and this. I think that was the most disrespectful thing you've ever done to me while I was on the mic. That's a pretty high bar. I know. And you soared above it. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. The theme of the show today is bleep hole. And no, <laughs> I don't mean Doug Branson. Really? I mean Nick Batum. Who bleep hole. That's had strong. An exclusive interview with Scott Fowler. And shared his comments along with apologizing to the Charlotte Hornets fans, along with apologizing to the members of the front office and the Charlotte Hornets organization. And he kept reiterating throughout Scott Fowler's piece on Nick Batum's apology that he does not want to be a bleephole in this entire situation. We're going to get to that column written by Scott Fowler again, an exclusive interview that they had Nick Batum with the Charlotte Observer writing about Nick Batum's thoughts on how this season has transpired really how his career has transpired with the Charlotte Hornets. We'll get to that. Also break down a little bit of the game between the Charlotte Hornets and the Denver Nuggets here tonight. But you did hear Doug's voice. He's back with us, unable to go for a couple of shows here this week because of the tornado that hit in Nashville. Doug, how are you doing? What kind of update can you give us on what you experienced as well as just some ways that people can help? Mother Nature tried to hold me back, but I wouldn't let her, folks. I'm here for you. And uh, if you like hearing me on the show, if you've liked anything that I've said on the show, uh, so that excludes not of the scribe already. He does not like anything that I say on the show. But if you've ever gotten any value from anything that I've uh, said on the show, uh, then I would ask that you help the community that I reside in, the tornado that hit uh, Germantown, which is a little north of downtown Nashville, and then uh, hit my neighborhood of East Nashville, and then on down uh, I-40 and and knocked out a lot of communities. Uh, If you could, if you can, if you have the capacity to, if you can help, you can text RELIEF2020 to 41444, or you can visit cfmt.org and donate, uh, and all of those funds, those are both uh, vetted. These are real things, and they will go to help uh, all the communities that were affected by the tornado. This was no joke, folks. Uh, I have now experienced uh, Hugo, the hurricane, not the mascot of the Charlotte Hornets. I was three years old. I slept through that one, did not sleep through this tornado. It was scary stuff. You know how many times I've heard that? It's interesting because I guess people closer to my age all have that story of sleeping through Hurricane Hugo. There are so many stories about that, which is interesting to me. Like that's that's not foreign from anybody. I'll tell you what to show the age. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's age restricted because I'll tell you, I think producer Katie may have slept through this one had I not um, awoken her from her slumber. My watch went off with the alert. So if you haven't set up emergency weather alerts on your watch or your phone or whatever device you have, do that because that you know, might, might've saved us. Um, that alert woke me up. I had about 10 minutes. It looked all calm outside. And then all of a sudden the, the freight train, they're not kidding about that. Tornadoes sound like freight train. It was right over us. And I was able, because I had some time, I was able to get 
both my dog and uh, producer Katie and myself to to safety. And of course, your dog's name is Hugo. It's Hugo. Yeah, I sort of jinxed, jinxed myself. <laughs> just to come full circle. You can also follow us on Twitter at Walker Mail. The show handle is at Locked on Hornets. And you can follow Doug at Doug Branson, LOH. And also, Doug, I was sure to mention a couple of shows that you did put some of those links on your Twitter handle. So again, make sure you go to Doug Branson, LOH. I know you have a thread of some of the links that people can click on and donate or help in any capacity that they are able to. Um, had a Charlotte Observer column from Scott Fowler, as I mentioned at the top of the show here, Doug. Nick Batum apologizes to the fans, and he apologizes to people within the front office of the Charlotte Hornets franchise. And in that interview with Scott Fowler, the comments, he starts off with, you know, this franchise has got a bright future, but I don't think I'll be a part of it. I apologize to the people here because they put so much faith in me, and it didn't go well. It didn't work out, but what do I have to do? because I'm still here. There's a lot of other comments to get to here, Doug. And I mentioned the theme of the show being bleep hole. He says that about himself about three or four times, how he has such a burning desire not to act that way. He doesn't want to be a jerk. As you see in this column, that's what he says. I don't want to be a bleep hole. Like he says that at least three or four times. And it it seems to me like it's someone that cares about what people think about him. It seems to be that he does have remorse for the way that he's played. There's a lot of things to unpack here. What are some of the things that you took note of first and foremost when reading this column? Well, first I read this headline, which I don't, I, you know, normally the the people who write the columns don't write the headline. So I'm not saying that Scott Fowler wrote this headline, but it is fantastic. Uh, Nick Batum would like to apologize. He knows he's an overpaid Hornets cheerleader. <laughs> Just Boom. like dunking on him right from the very start in this headline. It's amazing. And then the video that's embedded on the Charlotte Observer website is Nick Batum with his eyes closed is the still on it. So it's just, I mean, double <laughs> a double dunking here on Nick Batum. Real quickly, we had to put this interview, I we had a chance to talk with Scott Fowler this morning and we had to put that interview out and we'll often put pictures of the topic that is most prevalent within that interview. And one of the interns that works at the station found a picture of Nick Batum where he just looks completely defeated. He's looking down. He's ha- he has his eyes closed. His his head is all the way down. He almost even has a double chin action. His head is so down. Like, that's how defeated he looks. And I was like, man, let's get a different one. Let's just go ahead and get a different picture than that particular one that makes Nick Batum look like that. So we got a little bit more neutral. Makes him look he's like just a bleep hole. Yeah, it does. And you know what? I was like, let's go with a different picture. It's funny that you bring that up about the video being here where, yes, the image and some of this can kind of make you lean towards one way about how it looks, given the context of the article. So just to talk about this whole idea that he doesn't want to be a bleep hole, I really think that he's referencing his role within the team, not necessarily, not necessarily towards fans. He doesn't want to be a bleep hole teammate and make a big deal about the fact that he isn't playing right now, that he isn't part. uh, He admits that he is not part, or at least he says, I don't think I'll be part of the franchise's bright future. So he recognizes recognizes that, and that's that's all fine. And I think it's probably to the betterment of the team in this season that he wasn't a bleep hole about it. But part of me thinks that the fact that he doesn't want to be a bleep hole about it is actually connected with why his tenure – 
did not work out here in Charlotte. He wasn't aggressive enough on the floor. He wasn't aggressive enough, I think, in the locker room asking for a bigger role. I think back to that season that they were forced, really, to bring in Dwight Howard to try to salvage something out of that Miles Plumlee debacle. And of the three main players on that Hornets roster that year, Kemba Walker, Nick Batum, and Dwight Howard, Nick Batum was the odd person out, and he was annoyed by it, but never demanded more of the coaching staff, never demanded more of his playing time or his, you know, he was always okay to fit in. And it's fine if you're okay to fit in if the team is doing well, but the team wasn't doing well. So maybe it was, maybe it was on him to say, hey, things aren't going well. I'm not as big a part of the offense as I want to be. I would like to be a bigger part. Like, that's good leadership. To give more context to you discussing he doesn't want to be a bleep hole to the team, he starts off with that very phrase, and then he goes on to say, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be the guy who's like, okay, let's go out tonight. Coach sucks. Don't show up. You shoot 25 times a game. Don't listen to him. No, I won't do that. I don't need that. They don't need that. I didn't live up to my expectations the last two to three years. I understand that, and I know that. See, I, I, ca- I kind of like the idea of him doing that, though, in this season. Like, he, he's essentially the serpent in the, in the garden. Like, he's just going around to all the young guys being like, hey, let's, let's go out and party. He's like a secret agent for James Borrego. They seem to have, even though this has all gone awry, they seem to see eye to eye on a lot of things. So maybe he is just like the secret agent of the team. And he's like, yep, uh, this guy is not ready for primetime. Joe Cheely, he don't want it. Yeah, Joe Cheely go up there and jack 25 <laughs> shots a game. <laughs> he just, no, think, he just acts as the tempt, uh, the temptress uh, of this, of Jay's Borrego, just like a secret agent to see who is ready to party and not ready to be a part of this franchise's future. That would be a inter- role on the team. <laughs> it's been interesting to see how everybody has responded to this. It's very easy because of the way that Nick Batum has performed. It's been really bad. There's no doubt about that Nick Batum has not lived up to the level of his contract as we are talking about with him acknowledging that as well via this column. It's been interesting to see how people kind of react to, well, no bleep. You're not going to be a bleep hole because there's no reason we should commend you for taking a back seat to the younger guys that are playing here because it just didn't work out for you the last couple of years. And now it's time for these younger guys to get a lot more run because you're right. You are not a a part of the future. And I feel that's some of the responses that I've seen from people. And I do think there is some truth to that. You know, I, I think there is some truth. Okay. And this is, look, you're showing some humility here in some regards. And I understand that you don't want to be a jerk about all of this. And so it is nice that you are the world's most expensive cheerleader. It is nice that you have, kind of converted your role into someone that is extremely supportive on the bench. And Scott Fowler opens up this column by saying, you'll pay attention to him on the pine. It's true. Like I remember watching, I went to the game against the Milwaukee Bucks and Nick Batum, you know, sitting there arguing with the refs. He's the first one off the bench when something exciting happens. Like I remember taking note of that, um, watching that Bucks game on Sunday. And it, it's, I, I don't, I don't want to go, you know, overly, you know, in, no, the in team, needed, the team needed a scoring them. leader, not a cheerleader. Sure. I mean, in and, those in those years, they were fighting for the playoffs. They didn't need a cheerleader. And they don't. And, and, and honestly, they don't need a cheerleader now. I mean, that's not that, that, that I'm telling you, these these young kids don't. I'm. It's fine. It's fine that he's not being a bleep hole. But I don't think that it's it's a giant 
um, you know, benefit to these these young players are are ready and and they're doing what they have to do. And, and I'll tell you, it's it's just a sad thing that you know at the time that the Hornets made the signing, it was under the max, and and people celebrated it. And now, after all of these years, the team, you know, fans are going to celebrate when this team is finally able to extricate itself from this massive contract. And speaking of celebration. The season for celebration is around the corner. We've got proms, we've got weddings, we've got events coming up soon. Did you know, Walker, that Queen City Beauty Group, a boutique spa in Charlotte, has an acne clinic? And acne is the scourge of celebration season. Did you know that? (laughs) I did know. I did know that because I went there, Doug, and my acne was cleared up within seconds of that being completed with seconds of my CBD oxygen facial being completed. It really was crazy. She showed me a mirror and I looked into it and saw my beautiful skin and my beautiful face. And boy, I needed it because of some of the problems that I had going on that she fixed immediately. I can confirm you look smooth. All right. If you or someone you You love is struggling with their skin, don't visit the drugstore shelves. Queen City Beauty Group can help you. Many acne medications on store shelves are the one size fits all variety. You know, those solutions. These products can actually worsen acne because one-size-fits-all skincare, it doesn't actually make sense when you think about it. Have you ever had a new breakout the day after you run out of an acne product? If so, uh, that's the wrong product for your skin. It's not normal. It's called rebound acne. Nichelle at Queen City Beauty Group has years of experience handling all types of acne and restoring healthy skin function. Queen City Beauty Group will help you to clear skin without all the harsh chemicals, steroids, or nasty ingredients that can cause rebound acne. Proper, customized skincare from someone you trust is crucial. So go to queencitybeautygroup.com today. That's queencitybeautygroup.com for the March special, which includes that CBD oxygen dome therapy facial that Walker was talking about that he was the beneficiary of. A gift certificate for $75 for use on a future visit. A gift from Queen City Beauty Group. It's only $99. It's a $250 value. Go to queencitybeautygroup.com today. Queen City Beauty Group, skincare for all. And in the comments section, make sure you put in Locked On Hornets so they know who sent you. We have more on Nick Batum next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. But give me some positives. As That would annoy me as a head coach. I'd be like, look, you, you can't lose to the Bulls by 20 and come away and go, well, you know, let's look for some silver linings. Silver lining, game over. Next game. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I didn't do a very good job of articulating my point, I think, when talking about Nick Batum being the world's most expensive cheerleader, because I do agree with you, Doug. I don't think that we should they needed overly, a scoring leader. I don't think we should overly praise him for being someone that is allowing these young players to play ahead of him because Nick Batum simply hadn't played well enough. And if you haven't played well enough in the professional leagues, then you have guys that come in and take your job from you, especially with the kind of direction that the Charlotte Hornets team is taking. It's going towards the future. And so I, I don't think that we should be overly praising him for cheering on his teammates. I, I I do acknowledge, though, that there would be a lot of veterans that would disappear. And this is something Scott Fowler talked about earlier today. said a lot of veterans in this situation would just disappear, not want to talk about it, not be open, and just want to move on as fast as they could. 
Nick Batum, being honest, I, I do like hearing his thoughts on this. And I do think they are genuine. Maybe I'm naive in this. I don't know. But I think most of these comments and the feelings that Nick Batum at least is exuding in this article, I do think that they are genuine from him. Oh, I think, I think so too. I mean, he even says that he regretted the past several years as a whole. He said, I could do a better job, of course, and I regret that. And he did take certain steps to try to figure out how to have a better NBA regular season. You remember the, when he decided not to play international basketball to try to have a better regular season, to try to be a bigger role player on this team, and that didn't work. And then he went back to playing international basketball. So it isn't as if he just didn't try anything. It's just that he didn't perform as well as fans expected him to. And, you know, I, I don't think that Hornets fans were looking for Nick Batum to be a, a star player, but they certainly didn't expect him to be a third or fourth option. You know, they really expected him to be a legitimate second option beside Kimba Walker. And the, the three-point percentages, the efficiency, the, the, the ability to – and this is what always bothered me about Nick Batum. I just didn't feel like he had a great sense of when he needed to step up. When Kimba Walker wasn't having a great night, it, it, it felt like sometimes Nick Batum would also not have a great night and not just – and, you know, it's one thing to not have a great night when you put up, you know, 12 or 13 shots a game and you feel like you're in it, but, but to not have a great night and score four, six points on four or five shot attempts, that I think really, really bothered fans, certainly bothered me at times. Yeah, and so when you look at Nick Batum in Portland – his numbers were good. <laughs> I mean, the the season the season the ultimate right fantasy before, basketball guy. The season right before he was traded to the Charlotte Hornets, it was a bad one in Portland. And as I pull up some of the rosters that Portland put out there on the floor, you you look at that year in 2013 and 2014, Doug. And Damian Lillard was on that team. He was averaging about 20 points per game. You look at LaMarcus Aldridge on that team. He was the leading scorer at 23.2. You look at Wesley Matthews. He was the third leading scorer at 16.4. Remember when Wesley Matthews was uh, one of the better players in the NBA at that time. Like Portland had a really nice nucleus, but we know that Nick Batum then would go into a year where there was only one more year left on his deal into 2014-2015. And when you look at that roster, it's still the same. Um and yet, Nick Batum, I like you thought maybe, okay, is this a time where they were moving on from a star or was there like did Wesley Matthews already move on from the Portland Trailblazers to a different team? But he was still in the same role. And man, in this year, Nick Batum shot 40%, 32% from three. His effective field goal percentage was 48%. And man, do you look at the years prior to that? This is a guy that was shooting, you know, 40, 45% his rookie year, 51 his second year, 45, 45, 42 once, and then 46 in 2013-2014. An efficient basketball player. You know, Not only just his free throws, which have never waned, but his three-point percentage was pretty good. His overall percentage was pretty good. He was scoring double digits per game. He was averaging five rebounds per game. Uh, he developed into a passer. I mean, you see him... In 2012-2013, that's when he really takes off as a passer where he had never averaged even two assists per game. Boom, it goes all the way up to five. Like, this was a guy that I think was the ultimate glue guy, Doug. And then when he comes to Charlotte, the Hornets have a decent amount of talent, right? When you have that year in the playoffs, they actually have Courtney Lee, who they got to play 28 games, and he really helped them out. 
you look at Marvin Williams, you know, Marvin Williams shot 40% from three that year and 45 from the field. Jeremy Lin kind of had a rebirth here in Charlotte where he scores double digit points a game. You know, Al Jefferson wasn't quite awful yet. He was still scoring 12 points a game and being pretty effective. They had enough pieces on that team where they didn't have enough stars to take you anywhere distant, but they had enough pieces where Nick Batum didn't necessarily have to be that second guy all the time. Well, then you lose Jeremy Lin, you lose Courtney Lee, Al Jefferson no longer on the team as a legitimate player that can get you a bucket. And all of a sudden, you have to rely on Nick Batum to take a step up even further than what he did in the year they got to the playoffs. And I think we just were wrong about what Nick Batum's ceiling could be. Reality is that Nick Batum was always going to be a really good glue guy, but he just couldn't be that second guy on a team that even makes the playoffs, let alone makes a deep run. Yeah, no, he could and that's the thing. He could not transition and, and could not recognize the situation. Like you you had to look around at some point and go, Okay, we lost Courtney Lee, we lost Jeremy Lynn, we lost Al Jefferson, we replaced the you know, it would have taken you know, probably 16 to 20 games to realize this, but then you look around and you go, wait a minute, we replaced all of that talent with uh, Spencer Hawes, Ramon Sessions, uh, Frank Kaminsky, uh, Marco Bellinelli. Uh, this isn't going to do it, and I need to step up and play better. And instead, we got five field goal attempts, or, or excuse me, 12.7 field goal attempts per game, 40% from the field, 33% from three in 2016-17 in that follow-up year to the playoff year. My question is, you keep going back to kind of a cognitive decision on his part on he needs to play better. My point is, maybe he just couldn't. <laughs> I mean, Nick Batum, maybe he couldn't play better in that role because it was absolutely a different role. That's my point, is that it's like asking, hey, why didn't Anthony Bennett just play better? You know, why didn't these guys just play better? Why Some of these guys just don't have that ability. Well, I don't think so we ever they- saw the Nick Batum from the playoff season. I don't, I don't know that we ever saw that Nick Batum again. And part of it, uh, had to do with injuries. You know, he was injured during that playoff series, and then he had the elbow injury um, and uh, two seasons later. And so, you know, how much of this is just bad fortune? You know, the Hornets have not drafted well. I mean, you can go and say, well, there's this factor and that factor and this factor, but you paid the guy a lot of money, and and you didn't get much in return. That's bottom line. Needed a scoring th- leader, not a cheerleader. Do you think he needed to apologize? No. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I, they, now, here's the thing. I, I think it's very odd the the situation that Nick Batum finds himself in and Cody Zeller to a certain extent. I mean, they are essentially on ice. I mean, they, they and, and Nick Batum more so than anyone because he's just stuck. Like, there's not much he can do. I don't know if the team is going to be willing to buy Nick Batum out unless they get a serious discount for it and they can save the team some money. Uh, and Nick Batum really does have a desire to go and play somewhere else, but desire is not a word that I would associate with Nick Batum. Um, you know, <laughs> talent certainly, ability certainly, but not desire. I've just that's not something you've seen out of him during his tenure in Charlotte. So I, I don't know what the you know, and that's just a tough situation for him to be in because I fully expect him, by the way, to to take that money. I wouldn't blame him for cashing in the the check that the Hornets wrote. Um, but then he's not going to be not going to play basketball. Yeah, the discussion that if Nick Batum really is apologetic, then he'll opt out of this contract. That's ridiculous. Like that's a thing that's going out there. I mean, you can feel you can feel apologetic and still recognize it would be dumb. I think the the same people 
that are calling Nick Batum out for not really being apologetic in this scenario by saying that he should opt out to truly show how sorry he is. I think those same people would also point the finger right back at Nick Batum to say, you're an idiot for opting out of this contract. What the hell are you doing? I would be shocked if Nick Batum decided to opt out. I would be surprised if somebody like Patrick Beverly... I mean that guy. That just that guy just has a something inside him that wants to ball all the time. You could just feel it. He exudes it. He sweats it out of his pores. If that guy opted out in the, in a similar situation, I would still be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked because it's like that guy wants to go ball somewhere. He can't just sit on the pine for a year. I feel like Batum can. He can. He, he's just going to ride it out, and that's part of the problem. The semantics of surprised and shocked is what I want to dig deeper into. You, that's well, shocked what. is shocked is, <gasps> and yeah. surprise is whoa. <laughs> shocked is <gasps> and surprise uh, is whoa. All right, one more segment to go here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Talk. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the game tonight against the Denver Nuggets. Whoa. <gasps> this is Locked On Hornets. I'm not a big fan of grape jelly. I kind of, I'm a little insulted that you referred to me as grape jelly. I'm not a fan of grape anything. Now, I like grapes, but I don't like grape flavoring. I think it goes back to the Robitussin that I had as a kid, and I just don't like grape flavoring. Anyway, great to be back. Great to be back on the show. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. It is great to have you back on the show. I know you said you were three years old for Hugo, but... Is there any, so there's nothing you remember from back in the day? Like the, did you even remember the reaction of your family in regards to Hurricane Hugo when it hit here, Charlotte? Oh, yeah, I definitely remember the reaction. It was, <gasps> they were shocked. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a little bit more than surprise. You said, were you well, surprised? Everyone or was shocked? shocked because hurricanes are not supposed to hit mm-hmm. Charlotte directly. Now, the, you know, you, you get some tangential hurricane action every now and then. But you don't get a direct hit from a hurricane. By the way, the tornado that hit uh, that hit my area of Nashville, equivalent to an EF3 hurricane, 160, 160 mile per hour winds. And when I heard the hur- when I heard the tornado coming through, I was surprised that we were going to get hit. I went, "Whoa!" But what what happened when it actually did hit? Were you shocked or surprised <gasps> when you were going through it? Yeah, I would imagine I would be shocked as well. The Hornets play the Denver Nuggets tonight at the Spectrum Center. Tip is set for 7 p.m. Um, Doug, one conversation I've had quite a bit with Molly on the wake-up call that I've seen, and even Tom Haberstroh, I, I mentioned last week, you know, <laughs> talking you on the morning. You him every show that I'm on, I feel Yeah, like. you know, Habsy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my boy, Tommy H. Big time, Tommy John. Um, you know, I talking with him just in our free time, not even on the radio show. Right, right. He discussed You're how texting him me, right now. It's weird. Like, uh, can yeah. you pay attention to the show, please? Uh, Stop texting uh, Tom Havistro for one second. Doug, hold on one second. Hey, Tom. Yeah. No podcast. Po- yeah, I'll hit you back. Sure. No, no, that's great. All right. See. Whoa. Yeah. So, talking with Habsy, he was discussing the the mediocre mindset that is still within this Hornets organization, right? Like how it's still okay. We we need that guy, and we've had that conversation. And now I think people are kind of using that where they still don't have. Well, this you can't star. hold on, hold on for a second. Mediocre mindset. You need that guy. You can't grow them in a lab. Like well, there are, there are extenuating circumstances that you have to figure out in order to get in a position to get that guy. 
my point being that it's okay to feel good about the direction of this franchise yes. while also realizing that there's still work to be done. That's fine. And I've had that conversation multiple times in the last week or so. The fact that we, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's still Miles Bridges. You know, it's still just, you know, PJ Washington. I don't know if he can be the number one player on a team that can make a deep contender or that can make a deep run. I don't know if Devontae Grant, like, okay, all of that is so true. The work is absolutely not done. We could be in for a, another season next year. But I've had that conversation multiple times with multiple different people that, that kind of use that angle as a, why is everybody feeling so good about this team? That's what they're using that angle for. And I just don't get it. We can feel good about the beginning processes and understand that, whoo, still a lot to be done before we can say this is a finished product. And how much of that reputation is earned by the Charlotte Hornets franchise by the type of player that they draft? I mean, they draft the Miles Bridges uh, sort of high floor, low ceiling. They draft P.J. Washington, who has shocked us all with how high his ceiling can truly be. But at the same time, when he was drafted, everyone was like, snoozer. Oh, yeah. Snooze alert. I mean, waving my hand high up in the air for that. Absolutely. I was one of those. Right. And- so how much of that is earned? And 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 but you I think as an organization, you can't let that uh, influence your decisions in the draft. You have to go and draft the best available player. Oh, you can't course. get in this situation. That's you can't. Yes. Well, that's what I'm saying. So what does it matter? What Habsy, what uh, t- t- yeah. <laughs> big time Timmy Jim John, what does it matter <laughs> what he John. thinks? You want the organization to draft the best player available not to try to hit a home run. And by the way, this is coming from the guy that wants the organization to draft a home run. Don't listen to me either. No, I, I want them to draft. A, I mean, hell, I was pining for Kevin Porter Jr. Um, and some of these other, like even Michael Porter Jr. That was an interesting discussion a couple of years ago. I, listen, I'm fully in trust in Cupjack. Like, I mean, it's obvious he has a nose for the draft, especially deep drafting, which is good because the Hornets don't seem to find themselves with the top pick very often. So uh, uh, oh, I'm, Doug, I'm, I'm trusting the, Cup. Not, Doug, the last. <laughs> My Cupjack runneth over. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I'm always trusting a cup check. Um, when you look at at least one big decision and one mistake that he's made, it's trading Miles Bridges, uh, trading for him and getting rid of Shea Gildas Alexander. But it's not like this devastating thing that's happened to the Charlotte Hornets. You know, to me, that's a bad look- beat. It's not it's not a bad decision. It's a bad beat because no one was I, I don't think anyone was saying, whoa, shit, passing on Shea. You're going to regret that. Oh, I think. No, that it was wasn't. That was not the consensus around the draft. It was like, well, you know, either I think both these players are good. You know, you might. No, I don't think anyone was. I, Bobby Marks came out with an article the- immediately saying that it was a mistake because Kimba Walker's future was certainly uncertain. Sweet, and Shea Gilgis, my sweet yeah. baby, Bobby. Yeah, sweet baby Bobby had it, and even Habsy. You know, he was saying I just, go after When you're drafting different. around that area, I just you're trying to figure out which player is going to pop, and it's just impossible enough. Well, and and so that that leads into what I think is one of the most interesting discussions and in how we evaluate general managers. It's you know when it, it, we kill them in revisionist history, right? Like we we kill them for things that we were in favor of at that time. You know, look at Rich Cho with the Nick Batum thing. It's, I mean, people wanted Nick Batum to be a part of this team. And there's been so many points as to the Dallas Mavericks absolutely would have signed him to a max deal had the Hornets decided not to extend that contract. 
And you look at some of these other ones, like even extended to Marvin Williams and Cody well, Zeller it. a little that's bit. That's it. What you're talking about is it. It's not that Rich Shows signed Nick Batum. That wasn't the mistake. The mistake was assuming that Nick Batum was going to be a number two player and you could sign a bunch of other mediocre players and put them all together and make a playoff team. That, you know, it was, and we we started to feel that at the time. Like once the Zeller and the Marvin Williams signing happened, we were like, wait a minute. We, we've basically pushed in all of our chips like all of the, the each deal uh, by itself is a good deal, but now we've pushed in all our chips, and I don't know that we have a, a like a playoff contending team. Well, and and in no way am I defending Rich Cho because I think he was bad at evaluating the draft process. In fact, I think he was really bad at it. You know, I there was the bump for a long time. He drafted Bismack Biombo before he drafted Kimba Walker, and so you the one thing he hit on, he actually tried to miss on, and so he was a bad process evaluate there were some bad trades we can all remember the miles plumley trade there, there was some there were some bad trades that he made but by the way, by the way those moves yeah hornets play the nuggets tonight do you want to talk about that a little bit more not really but i will say this the hornets need to sign a third point guard like this joe chili business like get out of here yeah like rest you of just my stop me midpoint was that was, was i, I was just it, it's was bothering me I, it's what well, listen it's been it's been a while since i've been on the microphone i got a lot of thoughts i think this is ridiculous we keep doing the joe chili thing we know what the joe chili thing is you got to go out raymond felton by the way available i don't know if you mentioned that on the radio when i told you to or on this podcast but raymond felton is available he's ready to go he is a bobcats legend he's top five in a lot of bobcats categories this guy's ready to roll Rest Devontae Graham, make sure he's healthy, get a legitimate third point guard in this organization. Bring back Ray Ray. Let's do this. Hornets Nuggets tonight. I think that was the most disrespectful thing you've ever done to me while I was on the mic. Like you just legitimately stopped that's and said, That's a pretty no, high I'm bar. <laughs> I know. And oh. you soared above it. Yep, that's right. I was shocked to see you do that, but maybe I shouldn't have been. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Walker Mail, at Doug Branson, LOH, and at Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow.